Welcome to What's Left To Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This episode's guest is all about housing, specifically bringing back public housing in a big way. Laksh probably doesn't fit the mold of someone you'd think would fight so hard to expand the commons as a pretty well-off tech guy. But that's the thing about the left. We're from all walks of life with a sense of urgency around what needs to change so that we can all live dignified lives. Also, let me again apologize to Laksh for how I opened the show. <laughs> Poor thing. Uh, he, he definitely didn't deserve that. housing this is the person you need to know laksh say what's up to the people laksh hi janelle thanks for having me <laughs> yeah maybe you maybe you don't send this one to mom and dad um, <laughs> how are you i'm good I'm good. He was good before I started this interview off exclaiming "ho," but that's fine. <clears throat> like I said, we're gonna we're gonna get you in touch with the um, <laughs> with the <laughs> with the brown male friends of Janelle Support Group. It's it's actually an international movement. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for agreeing to let me sit down and get your story. This is this is our first time meeting in person, uh, though I've been at this point in several uh, meetings with you through SF Burning Kratz, and you are our head housing honcho for the hoes who need housing, which is all of us. We are all hoes. We are all hoes in need of housing. So we thank you <clears throat> for all of your work that you do. Yeah, formally, I guess I'm, I'm the housing committee coordinator, but I'm fine with that title as well. <laughs> I'm the head hoe of housing. We're gonna. We. I might have to strike that from the interview because you didn't. Okay. That. Okay. <laughs> um, That's okay. Yes. Yeah, so you are. You. How long have you chaired the um, housing committee for Burning Kratz? Myself, uh, since the middle of 2018 or so. Okay. Um, you know, Ben Becker and I kind of started the housing committee about a year before then. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, after the 2018, you know, June election. I ended up like taking it over and, and kind of taking it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, we're gonna get to the current moment because I'm very impressed that, I, I presume that we're about around the same age, though you might be a little younger than me. 26, yeah. Okay, so he's way younger than me. He's a zygote. Um, so <laughs> how does a, a wee baby, a wee baby, uh, how does he become so uh, focused and integrated with the fight for housing here in the Bay and the state more broadly, because that is a huge, um, a huge, a huge issue and factor in, you know, the state and this region's like political economy. I've, I've been very impressed from afar because you like, that is, you have a laser focus. You have such a command of the issue and the levers and la la. So I, cannot wait until we get to the current moment, but I would like to understand how a 
26-year-old housing policy maven. And by the way, this isn't even his full-time job. Like, <laughs> he has, like, a, a career, like, not in public service. This is just, not just, this is something that he does in addition. But I'm extremely interested in understanding your backstory and how you got here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So where where were you born? Where where'd you grow up? I, I was born in India. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in New Delhi. Um, my mom is from Bhopal. My dad is from, uh, dad is from Delhi. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you might know Bhopal, uh, yeah. it's, uh, where there was a famous gas accident that happened, yeah. the chemical, uh, plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my mom was one of the doctors who was actually, uh, I think at that, that point she was in medical school, uh, you know, evacuating people, treating people because mm. of that chemical. Um, Bhopal happened in the eighties or seventies. It was in the early eighties. It was okay. 1984. Or so I, yeah. And yeah. what, for my eye, cause I'm not recalling the, um, the exact issues around that. Can you, can you give us a brief-ish rundown of the that catastrophe because i'm i think it was very bad yeah it was basically union carbide uh one of is a western company that had this chemical facility i don't remember entirely what they were processing but um there was uh, essentially an issue that happened and uh their chemicals started to leak and uh i you know my parents were fortunate because they were at the top of this hill where the none of it reached them ah. themselves uh-huh. but many other people were very affected by that uh, accident and con- you know there's a continual demand for reparations for that mm-hmm. um to this day mm. um from from that company and so yeah i mean it, it was uh that was where my mom grew up my mom uh, became a doctor my whole uh mom's side of the family pretty much all of them are, are doctors in mm-hmm. some way medical doctors medical doctors uh-huh. my my dad that side very similar mostly medical doctors except for my dad mm. yeah. what did your dad do he was a, he was a banker he was a, an engineer and then went into banking ah yeah. i see i see so you are you punjabi N- uh, no not really I, I don't really i identify that much with ethnicity i left india when i was five years old when, <laughs> but when, when i was in india we moved uh, from a lot from uh, New Delhi to Bombay, uh, now Mumbai, and mm-hmm. then uh, Ch- Chennai was then known as so, Madras, uh, South uh, India. So you yeah. went from like northeast to like e- west to southwest. Yeah, yeah, we're south. Yeah, but basically to the south, uh, mm-hmm. South India. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and your, do you have any waking memories of uh, your the the part of your early childhood that you spent that you spent in India? Yeah, I mean a lot. Um, it was, I, I remember, especially when we first left India and, and when, like, moved outside of the country to Singapore. Um, that was the first, like, country we'd ever lived in outside of India. Mm-hmm. It was a complete shock for us because, like, in India, you know, so many things, basic infrastructure is is not working. Like, uh, what, what do you, what were, like, when you say infrastructure was kind of a shock, like, to give me a comparison between India yeah. and Singapore electricity there are sometimes mm-hmm. power outages scheduled or unscheduled mm-hmm. uh, it was even worse in the past mm-hmm. um with water as well water only you know running water only comes certain times of the day so you have to fill up a, a mm-hmm. tank and 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 then you take a even for families that were more well off like your own that was yeah. still the case yeah middle class yeah what? um we would basically you know we use like fill up a bucket with water for, mm-hmm. you know conserve a lot of water and that's what you use for a shower mm-hmm. um so you know we have to dole out ration out uh, water mm-hmm. and um yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people just aren't aware of that. Things like even like internet speed is 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 pretty atrocious. <laughs> um, uh, being able to run a lot of things on your electricity at the same time mm-hmm. can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And so 
Still now or when you were growing up from zero to five? Nowadays, it's a little bit easier, especially the, the difficulty is when you have um, the po power outage and you have to rely on a generator or inverter yeah, or yeah. something. And, and that cannot handle that much and sure. cannot even run air conditioning Aye. in some cases. And yeah. that can be very difficult in the summer. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah, we didn't even have AC in the early stages of growing up. But we eventually, you know, got AC as well. But, you wow. know, in India gets very hot in the summer. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now are you are you the only child or did you have do you have siblings? I have a sister. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Or are you the older or younger? I'm the younger one. Oh okay. Yeah. So she tortured you. <laughs> she was she was, you know, <laughs> uh, she was fine. She was she has her own like very different personality than me. Well, how would you compare <laughs> your personality? She's very extroverted. I'm I'm not as extroverted. Yeah, that's why uh, you're I'm... still tense after I called you the head housing of hope. <laughs> head hope. <laughs> But I called you. Just joking. Okay. So you tell, so she's like the extrovert, like life of the party, and you're the the bashful, maybe introvert. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Um, so how long were you guys in Singapore? And like what was what was that transition like? Oh, I mean, it was a completely different uh form of living. Um, you know, the it wasn't just you know, infrastructure, things like the 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 streets, every everything, you know the way that they handle finding people for chewing gum that was totally chewing different. wait 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 what do you mean finding people for chewing gum i'm i'm pretty sure it's still illegal to chew gum in singapore like in public uh, and, and and uh certainly to litter certainly to litter that's a big issue uh -huh. um uh you can buy gum i i forget the exact rules around this it's like something like you can buy gum but you can't really chew it really it's a very uh, authoritarian country but yeah. like 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 just like bazooka bubble gum you cannot chew it I don't I don't remember this. I was like five years old at the time, but I do remember we just couldn't chew gum. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, they were I think they were concerned about like people spitting it out on the street and oh, then they get stuck on people. Too. And like they're very like they will try to stop things at, at bef before they can even happen. And I so see. That's how the oh, system is set up. I, I mean, there were a lot of other differences in Singapore as well. I mean, it's a much more built up city um, since Singapore got its independence from Malaysia in the 60s. They went through like massive uh, economic expansion and uh, they instituted like a pretty strong housing program as mm. well mm. Um, uh, like an ownership based program that was basically like public uh, housing but with ownership mm. um, long-term leases mm. and that you know takes up a lot of their skyline huge buildings mm -hmm. you know several several tens of stories tall mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I grew up um, and and so like I spent from, I, from what age to what age five to eight years old or so I oh know. okay what did, did you now? Did you guys move there for your dad's work or your mom's work or both? Dad's work, yeah. My yeah. mom, it was it was always a struggle for her to get a, you know a medical degree and practice outside of India since we moved, and so because because like, of the the new the na the national boards or whatever of where you guys moved were prohibitively so. Yeah, I mean, they don't really recognize like degrees from certain countries. And India is one of those that often gets um, not recognized. I yeah. see. And even, even if she was like, you know, pretty good in school and, and like was a good doctor and probably could do the thing, you know, and, and, and do the practice in, in, in every country. Um, yeah, it was just difficult. So she would have to go through a lot of retraining. And at that point, she just decided not to. At, when you guys moved to Singapore? Yeah. Oh, okay. So what, what what type of medicine was she practicing back home in India? Uh, she was an eye doctor. Oh, optometrist Op or ophthalmologist? Ophthalmologist. Okay, because I always get those confused. Yeah. I still don't know the differences. I just know they have different names. Okay. So so did she did she stop working outside of the home when you guys got to Singapore? 
Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, okay. So she was just around to like bug you all the time. Just joking, mom. Stay if home, he mom, lets yeah. you listen to this, I know you weren't <laughs> bugging him too much. <laughs> uh, what was it like in Singapore? How did you enjoy living there and growing up there? Was it cool? Was it were like kids assholes or what? Yeah, I mean, I think it was very like like surprising to me coming from India. Like mm-hmm. that, there's you know the advanced state of like even public transit Mm. um you know going having like a clean place where we could go out and play Mm. uh in in greenery and because you know because the buildings are so tall like something that doesn't get mentioned as much is that there's more room for greenery ah uh, because you don't you have like denser developments Mm -hmm. and so um yeah we had a playing field that was like uh, that was we didn't have that much space in India. Like sometimes we would play on the streets, mm-hmm. you know. So um, that all of that was pretty surprising. Laser tag, like all kinds of oh, right like on. things like this that I like had never seen in India. Mm. Um, yeah, the, just the state of like it, it felt like the Singapore was at that time. This was like in the early two thousands. The state of internet usage and so on was on par with the rest of the Western world. And mm. I think by now probably has advanced quite a lot. I got you. Know? you. Now, how would you like from zero to eight? How would you have, how did you think of your family's like social station? Like, did you, did you think you were quote privileged or rich or middle class? I mean, these are all terms that depending on where your head's at, like, you know, they could mean something or could mean nothing. But like, how did you think of your like situation growing up as a kid? Do you think? At that stage, yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, we were middle class, upper middle class. I, uh, for a long time, my dad would not tell me his income anyways. Um, I, I think right. he just didn't. Especially as a child. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> shoo, get get out of here, go play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I mean, I later learned, I, especially as my dad kept getting promoted further up in the bank, mm-hmm. um, definitely moved into more kind of upper middle class as uh, I went into my teens. Mm. Uh, is he, so. is he like an eye banker or like? like like a like a branch manager not the i'm not that came out wrong but you know what i'm saying like is he like a like a more more uh, did he have more of a centrally corporate role or maybe like more retail banking yeah he was on the consumer side of uh city bank he was basically uh doing risk management Mm. um about uh Things starting off with things like credit cards, I think, and mm-hmm. kind of uh, advanced over time, moved to different uh, areas, became head of different, you know, parts of the global Divisions. operation. Oh, know. okay. Right on. Yeah. Um, did you understand what, what, did you have an idea of what his work was or did, in, as a child, was it just like, my dad works with money because banks hold money? I, I honestly still, he's retired <laughs> now. I still don't know what he really did. No, right on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. But, um. What type yeah. of student were? You, what type of student and child were you? Were you? Have you always been introverted, or did you used to be hell on wheels and then you like clammed up later on? I was, yeah. I mean, pretty much always introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at a young age, my my mom gave me rewards for reading like pages of encyclopedia books, <laughs> nice. and so like I actually read the whole encyclopedia. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I picked up every everything. <laughs> But I read it. Okay. Um, like during the summer or like in addition to doing your schoolwork? In, in like, I don't, I, at the time I didn't have too much schoolwork, like when I was a young kid. And so like, you know, just uh, when I had free time. What was your sister doing while you were in the corner reading the encyclopedia? Was she like? Oh, I don't know. Like she was just <laughs> playing with her friends and stuff like sure, that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I feel like uh, schooling 
in India was a lot more stressful. Mm. That's another thing. How? Is, uh, just from the beginning, like you, you start off, you're ready to take uh, examinations starting in first grade. We actually left soon when I was starting first grade, so I didn't get exposed to that too mm. much. But mm -hmm. examinations start very early. Mm -hmm. um, you're building up your, at the end of the, you know, 12th grade, you have your board exam that determines what university you get into. Yep. And it's just much more competitive. Yeah. Like it's a country of 1.4 billion people now, mm -hmm. not as many, you know, universities. Yeah. A lot of people, yeah, so it's it's just, it's very stressful. A lot of people are constantly doing uh, external tuition, uh, uh, tutoring is mm, basically. To uh, supplement, to make them more competitive. Yeah, and that mm. takes up quite a lot of time in addition to their coursework and schoolwork. And mm. so that that was the kind of culture I, like, I was getting, like growing up in. I saw my cousins go mm. through. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so uh, I was kind of grateful that I didn't have to go through that level of. Sure, of, you were spared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't as rigorous in Singapore? It was, I mean, it was, I was, uh, since we left India, I was mostly in international schools because we didn't know where we were going to end up. So we mm. figured that's a safe curriculum, the IB, ah, ah. Uh, up until like I was, we eventually moved to London. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a much more like, it felt like it tried to nurture learning more ah, ah, ah. Uh, instead of try to force you to memorize sure, things, which sure. is uh, basically a lot of what Indian education ends up being. I got you. I got you. So where did you guys uh, jaunt to after Singapore? Uh, for a couple of years, we lived in uh, Turkey. Huh? Where yeah. in Turkey? In Istanbul. Oh, okay. Yeah. How'd you like that? It was it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a country, it's a city that's half in Europe and half, half in, in Asia. Asia. Yeah. My dad would cross to the Asia side for work and then come back to Europe. Um, tra was traffic <laughs> as ridiculous in Istanbul then growing up as it is now? Because, like, was he in a car for, like, two hours a day trying to get across that long-ass bridge? All I remember is that he had a driver. And mm. we didn't have a driver except for when we were in India because the conditions of the roads are terrible yeah. in, in driving in India. And uh, so I think it wasn't that friendly in Turkey either. Yeah, yeah. There were, I was free. <laughs> My first and only time going to India was just like... <laughs> how is order being established out of the chaos i mean it's like that many places but it's just like how are people's nerves <laughs> like navigating the street same in turkey i mean it's just like <sighs> yeah it's difficult to get around if you don't speak turkish it's uh, very hard to find people who speak english as well so yeah well it's a little it's a little different now i mean more people speak english now or and, and you have like apps that can help you now i mean so i don't know if that was super super i'm sure that was very different at the time mm. Yeah, and then after that, so uh, we were there for, I think, two years. And then after that, we moved to London, where eventually mm -hmm. uh, my family ended up uh, getting residency and then eventually citizenship. So that was the first place we really settled. Mm. Um, we had been basically immigrants the whole time. Mm. Uh, and I was a citizen for like half a year mm -hmm. in the UK before I came to the US for studies and I was back to being an immigrant. So, wow. Yeah. Through your childhood, like zero to when you left for school, like did you have an understanding of your parents kind of like politic and or ideology? Uh, not when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, I talk more with them about it. Initially, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't talk a lot about politics mm -hmm. because especially when, when you're an immigrant family, when you can't vote, mm -hmm. it kind of doesn't make sense to talk about the local politics. Mm -hmm. My mom was always, still is very cynical about political involvement because, come, you know, in India, it's it's very different. I mean, mm -hmm. politics is much more corrupt. Mm. Um, much more corrupt than here or than the places you guys lived? Then, then the United States, yeah. I, I don't know, I know about that, sir. <laughs> what? 
it's just it's it's so much easier to do like low level corruption uh in india but we got high level corruption here and there's and there's high level corruption too and and it's just you know the the political parties don't i mean it's similar here but less so like don't have any clear ideology Mm. um often there's like a lot of posturing nationalism xenophobia that People. It sounds like you are describing the United States, <laughs> but go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it is very true in every country. Um, but I, I feel like in India, it's kind of excessive. The hmm. current prime minister is just like Hindu nationalist. Um, He's crazy. When I yeah. went there, everybody had something to say about him. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and he is still in power because plenty of people still like that way of thinking. Like, yeah, you know, like especially with Pakistan and mm-hmm. you know Hinduism and Islam have very contentious like history in india yep. and, and and all the violence and riots that even partly happened under modi's watch yeah um yeah hmm. so so they so you didn't you did not understand your parents as political entities growing up like that wasn't really a part like they weren't sitting down at the dinner table like all right uh let's discuss not not very much. Hmm. I mean, we would mostly talk about just school education, trying to get into university, mm-hmm. um, trying to make a life, you know, in the Western world that we lived in. Hmm. Um, and it was only really like, you know, my my mom was only able to vote when I was 17, 18 in, in London. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, before that, there were some things they were able to vote for. I forget the specifics, but because they're part of the Commonwealth, the mm-hmm. India's part of the Commonwealth, there were certain offices they could vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so like I, I didn't fully know their politics. I know that my mom generally votes liberal Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I a couple of times I've I've persuaded her to vote Labor, mm-hmm. um, especially when Jerry Cor- Jeremy Corbyn was in there. Yeah. Um, and uh my my dad i'm less familiar with how he votes but um gotcha now were you guys did you grow up religious like was your family religious or not really yeah we were uh my family largely still is hindu i was hindu i became atheist around eighth or ninth grade oh okay was that like a big deal in the family or did you keep it to yourself and you just went through the motions initially but then eventually i kind of had to say you know i don't really understand why we're going to church i don't i mean not church temple, temple sorry uh-huh. what we i don't i don't feel this way um and my my mom was uh, you know initially kind of surprised uh, mm-hmm. because growing up you know there was a lot of prayer mm-hmm. uh, that we did mm-hmm. um kind of as a way you know we would often do it before going to sleep as well mm-hmm. as a ritual sort of thing yeah um and eventually like i i just felt like it was unnecessary for me and why did you feel it was unnecessary for you religion um because you know i i I saw myself going a lot into the direction of science and Mm -hmm. I know a lot of scientists sometimes are able to have like deeply held religious beliefs, but I couldn't, as I was learning about things like falsifiability, Mm -hmm. scientific method, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, I started to realize, well, like, why do I have to believe all this stuff for which there's little proof? In, in, In Hinduism, it's a little bit different because you don't have like one God you have. The main concept is reincarnation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but even that, like, you know, I, there's like, there's no proof for any of it. Quite a lot of it but is But you just, can't prove it wrong either. Yeah. Yeah. But you, it's a lot of it is, is speculation. And so it's, I didn't feel like I had to believe it uh, mm. and, and live my life according to it mm. in, in fear of something. Mm. Um, like, uh, like karma, which is basically, there's the central part of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, there, there's a lot of things, religion plays a role in morality, community sure. building. 
Um, but I think a lot of that you can get outside of religion. Mm -hmm. So like at, at, at that age, I, I became atheist. Um, my, my parents were uh, understanding. My mom was initially a little shocked, but they were understanding. Mm -hmm. um, did you become like one? <laughs> this is a leading question. So you can tell me to fuck off. But did you become like an evangelical atheist? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you like an obnoxious, like Bill Maher atheist? I wasn't trying to convert them or anything. Sure, sure, like sure. I was, um, I was just saying, this is how I, I feel. And, you know, still to this day, I'll go to temple for my mom's sake. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go with her because I know it's important. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so I, I personally don't like, it doesn't mean anything as much to me, but, mm -hmm. uh, for her, like, yeah, and the for the community roots and sure. that sort of thing. Okay. Right on. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so when it was time to go off to school, you now it was, what was the, what was the, what was the familial context for, what was the backdrop, um, of your life when it was time to go off to school? Like were your parents like, all right, we've decided we want you to be our blank in the family. That's what you're going to go to school to do. Or was it like, were they, or did they give you the, the freedom to kind of like oh, explore your own bliss or da, da, you know like no pressure we just want you to be happy like what was this what was the context for you to go I, I, I feel like i had a decent amount more freedom than a lot of other um indian kids like because like the typical thing that your parent wants you to do is uh doctor lawyer mm -hmm. engineer yep yeah so um i mean i ended up becoming an engineer anyways <laughs> um, uh-huh but and and so i i mean my, and my parents like definitely would caution me about pursuing anything too like outside of those lines but mm -hmm. um you know i was thinking of going to like physics research which mm -hmm. is not really uh fits into any of those categories mm -hmm. and is not as well paying a job as as, as an engineer uh, sure. is uh, or as a tech worker is and so um they were supportive of that i mean they um my 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 sister works right now in in more of a business role uh mm. venture capital and so mm. that was different uh from what like a typical expectation might be and we we didn't know what like e either of us were going to do at that sure. at that time when we went to university mm. you know? did you both decide to go to university in the states or did she stay in england or did you and you went to, uh, you know she stayed in england yeah we both applied to british and and, and uh american universities she stayed in uh england she preferred one university called warwick university that's mm -hmm. where she went mm -hmm. um I ended up deciding to go to Caltech in mm. Pasadena. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Where? Where else did you get in in the United States? Everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> I I applied early to a couple of places. Once I got into Caltech, I I got into a lot of the UCs because they also gave their decision kind of early. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point, you know, I uh, stopped applying to schools, mm -hmm. and I had pretty much made up my mind to go to Caltech. You wanted to be on the West Coast, not you didn't want to be anywhere on the East Coast. <laughs> I don't know if I thought that much about the East Coast, West Coast thing, but I did like the weather. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the extent to which I thought about it. <laughs> right on. What was, uh, what was it like? Actually, hold on. Before we get to the United States, what, can, you, what does, can you describe what it, what it meant to you growing up as an immigrant in these various different places? I feel like we, I feel like right now the discussion around like what it means to be an immigrant kind of, um, if, if you've never experienced it, you don't really understand what that means concretely. So can you, can you try and describe that, um, for me slash us, like what, like what that, what that feels like, what that means? Like, does that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's just a very, uh, constant feeling often that you're not really equal. Mm. Um, and, 
there are certain rights and privileges that you won't get mm. uh, and you won't get them for a long time. Mm. Um, not just the right to vote, uh, but also like political participation to various degrees is limited. Uh, financial donations definitely limited. Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, getting involved politically in a volunteer role, it, people are a little bit weirded out to see immigrants involved mm -hmm. in um and yeah i mean people kind of might think you're just kind of transiently there you're mm -hmm. not part of the community that mm -hmm. sort of thing can i ask you a question yeah. to that point do you think that it's do you think that it would it would it benefits people it would benefit people or citizens of a given country or whatever to understand that like the participation of immigrants in various aspects of the political process isn't like shouldn't frighten you because if if I am in, you know, if I live in this community, I necessarily am concerned about, you know, the the life of this community, the health of this community for myself and my family as well as others. Because, you know what I mean? Like if I, you know, if, if the air isn't clean here, that negatively affects me and my family as it does you. Just because I'm an immigrant in this place doesn't mean that I'm not going to suffer or benefit like differently than you. It, it, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking because of that, because of my life, like how much of an impact where you're born plays, and mm. um, for that reason, I, I I agree with you that yeah, pe people, you know, should be able to participate where they are. Mm. Uh, I ideally, I would like it if you know, voting were expanded to to all immigrants and. And and there was more of a pathway to get involved in in the community mm -hmm. rather than what happens now, which is you know the mess of the American immigration system. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, I don't think that that is necessarily such a scary proposition. Whereas I don't know, maybe that's the knee jerk thinking. I'm just thinking out loud. But yes, thank you for for that point. Between Singapore, Turkey, and London. Like rank them. Which did you enjoy? Like ranking them in in priority of uh, enjoyment. I feel like Singapore has to be near the top. Okay. Um, I I don't know if I'd feel the same way right now about mm -hmm. like all the restrictions that are there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, many Americans would probably view it as a little bit of a nanny state in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the time, I really like it was incredible just all the the infrastructure and stability and 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 things that we saw there, which we were not used to mm. I mean, coming from a country that was incredibly impoverished after colonization and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So Singapore, but then what? Then London, then Turkey or Turkey, then London? Probably London above. Yeah. Okay. Uh, above Turkey because, um, yeah, I mean, Turkey was very difficult to, to navigate for us. Because um, of language, because of culture? Because, because of, of language, language okay. largely. Okay. Yeah. All right. um, and, and London, you know, like that was my first like solid memories of of universal healthcare. I feel like there's a similar system in Singapore, but I never really got to know it when I was like five years old. Yeah, yeah, but sure. but the and National Health Service like that definitely left a positive mark on me, you know, having used it several times. Why? What did, um, what about it left a positive mark on you as a child? It's just that it's it's free. You know, there's no none of like I had to learn what a copay premium and deductible is when I came to the United <laughs> States. God <laughs> And, Damn. Mm -hmm. and and like a lot of it is provided like I I actually got, you know, swine flu when I came to the United States Yikes. in 2009. Yikes. Came back to London to get treated because it would have been too much to be treated in the US. It well, I, I was here for a school thing in the United States mm -hmm. somewhere in the south. I forget. I think it was Alabama thereabouts mm -hmm. uh, and then came back to London. And that's where the symptoms started to develop. And oh. 
um, the, you know, they were so incredible. They came, the nurses came to my home to mm. give like check, uh, you know, it was swine flu and then give Tammy flu, which was how they kind yeah. of controlled it at the time. And oh, wow. So like, you know, I was always impressed by the British healthcare system. You know, a lot of people, I think outside, outside of the UK sometimes are like, well, there's all these long lines. Um, the lines are long usually if the, if your situation is not urgent, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, there were certain cases, like I remember dermatology or something like that, mm -hmm. where they would see you in a couple months, but it wasn't that right. urgent and they have to triage. So, sure, 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 yeah. sure. And at the end of the day, I mean, the program is going to be as well as it's funded and the sure. conservative party has, has been crapified it. Yeah, yeah. And been trying to make it worse and worse over time. Yeah. Yeah. What was, um, so how was describe life for me in London? It was it was different because at that point we actually in, in my first year in London, I was in an international school. And then my my parents were like, well, you should probably start going to an American school because it might give you a better chance of getting into American university. You didn't want to stay in London or England for university? I you know, I was open to it. I actually applied to British universities, got into them, uh, got into American universities as well. Um, the British universities I got into, I felt like uh, they were too conceited. What do you what do you mean? I, I went to, so I, I got into Cambridge to study computer science. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I went to visit and the professor was just like, you know, gave off this impression that why wouldn't you want to come here? This is the best place. We mm -hmm. are the best. And mm -hmm. I didn't like his attitude. Why and didn't you like his attitude? It's just so full of himself. Like, I mean, like, like. <laughs> well, they are British. I mean. They yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't see myself like getting along with that kind of uh, personality. I had, I had been in like some competitions uh, with uh, for computer science in Britain. And, you know, I often find kind of conceited people that are at the top levels of it. And it's just like I'm trying to find humble people who I can work with. Hmm. And Why was that important to you? Because you you have to know the limitations of what you know and don't know ha. to be able to become better. And, yeah. Why did you feel that way? Or why do you feel that way? I, I just feel that way all the time. I mean, like I, I, I spend so much time in housing. I even then it's been a, you know, f almost four or five years now mm -hmm. since I got started with uh, our efforts in, in San Francisco. And I feel like I always learn something new. Mm. And if I if I go into it, like whenever I, I do things like politics or when I do listening sessions, mm -hmm. I try not to bring my own knowledge too much and like listen to what the person has to say. Mm. You know, even if I pick up, they, they, they've said something wrong. I just try to like listen to them mm -hmm. and understand them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just coming at things from a conceited, well, I know what your problem is mm -hmm. point of view was just off-putting, even though that was like computer science, completely different field. Sure. Where do you think that posture to being open to acquire knowledge or acquire new knowledge came from because that's not that's not always that's not that's not a very easy thing yeah. for you know a, a, a man in particular in the west to like come to so I'm, so where do you think the genesis of that lies from a young age uh my dad especially always encouraged me to learn new things would always get me like educational you know uh tools, games, toys, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I grew up, like, you know, I would recognize that a lot of my peers, um, you know, had 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 great thoughts and I shouldn't, uh, you know, ignore them or anything, you know, mm -hmm. like if I if even if I'm doing better in the class, you mm -hmm. know, so like that that's part of where it came from, I mm -hmm. guess, as a man. Um, I would constantly get my ass kicked by women in like in like <laughs> by in math competitions ah, and stuff. So uh -huh. like I and and like you know including people in in my um in my own school mm -hmm. um and so 
yeah, I mean, I learned to look up to plenty of other people, understand mm -hmm. that sometimes, uh, you know, we, we're, we're all smart. We just sometimes think about solving a problem in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we, when we did a lot of math competition preparation, computer competition preparation in school, mm -hmm. like I, I'd see that play out. And, and I thought that was you know, helpful. I, I was also like uh, captain of my school's robotics team. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I met with a lot of those people a lot. And, mm -hmm. and like in that role, you can't really dictate. You kind of have to let people get involved themselves mm -hmm. and put forward and have their own ownership over mm -hmm. things. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, that involves a lot of listening. Ah, okay. All right. So it is through your, through like your extracurricular, um, and or educational activities where you were, you were able to see like, you know, I'm a smart guy. I know what I know, but that's not the extent of knowing like that's that, that still leaves plenty of room to rethink, consider and re know if you will. Yeah. And you constantly have to relearn. And that's something that I, I feel like I have to do often, even in my, my main field, which is as a, as a tech worker, computer science, mm -hmm. uh, you, yeah, you just constantly have to be aware of the latest things because your data, your, your knowledge is often becoming outdated. Ah, so, yeah. interesting. Right on. Yeah. So you, so you are, you mentioned a couple of the clubs that you were in, in London. What a, like, Run them down again. Math club, robotics, math club, computer club, computer competitions. Were you in the encyclopedia club? <laughs> no. <laughs> At uh, that age, no, nobody cared about. It. That was trivia. Oh, but okay. that's, that's, I didn't do trivia. <laughs> um, uh, I was on student council. The main thing I learned out of student council is how to organize a meeting and mm. and how and to run, run a meeting. Right that's on. It. Okay. You got into Caltech as a CS major. Physics. Oh, so you started off as physics. Yeah, and I actually completed my my major in physics. Um, did some computer science classes towards the end when I saw that I probably couldn't get a job in physics. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, the way way to get a job in physics is to do uh, either research straight out of uh, undergraduate, and most of that was only available to people with a green card or mm -hmm. citizenship, mm -hmm. or you do a PhD, which kind of kicks it further down. Sure, you're not making very much money you might get a job at the end of the line, like it's very uncertain. And so at that point I was just like, well, let me try to work for a bit. Um, and and so I, I shifted towards doing a lot more computer science classes mm -hmm. uh, towards my time at Caltech. And uh, yeah, I ended up applying for software engineering internships. Um, I had, I had, it wasn't the first time that I had done coding. I had actually started coding when I was like seventh, eighth grade, mm -hmm. thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I made an app when I was in high school mm -hmm. as well, an iOS app, uh, for the public transit system in London. Right on. And then, and then, so like I, I had some familiarity with it. And so mm -hmm. initially I was like trying to get involved in like, a app programming kind of role. Mm -hmm. um, but then I just completely changed to machine learning, which is um, mm. more related to, I guess, my physics math background mm. um, and and what I was kind of interested in. Right on. Now you're about to start squirming again, but this is my favorite thing to do to people. Did you lose your mind when you got to college? Did you go a little buck wild in a way that maybe your parents shouldn't know about? <laughs> I mean, once we were running to get food late at night and I slipped and uh, uh, or somebody else might have tripped me um, and like fell on and hit a rock and my front two teeth broke. <laughs> and uh, now I have I have fake like front teeth and um, 
Yeah, that was that was probably the craziest part of, and that was in my freshman year. Oh so. my god! Okay, so you lost your two front teeth on a late night run to get like taquitos from Seven Eleven, something like that, <laughs> or like Carl's Junior, something like that. <laughs> this was all new to me. Like I didn't know Carl's Junior was a thing in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, that's like literally actually... a run. We could have taken a car or something. Oh, like you were normal like people. Like we were just what? running because like it was like oh it's like a it's like a ten minute walk. It, it's a five minute run. Let's run. <laughs> we're all math majors. <laughs> we want to have this time. Let's um let's run to Carl's Junior at eleven o'clock before we make uh, this week's pentagram. Okay, that's <laughs> that's something. <laughs> uh, what were what were some of the biggest differences between like, were you shocked by anything when you moved to the U.S. for school? Like, was there anything about living here that was like, holy shit, these people are animals? Oh, I, I didn't expect to see the amount of uh, poverty and homelessness that I did. Ah. Um, I was in Pasadena, which is like a pretty kind of well-off mm-hmm. suburb, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, um, and especially when we would go into L.A., just seeing the conditions of people, that I was not like aware of how acute it was. Mm-hmm. Um from afar, I was like aware of the kind of at that time growing Black Lives Matter movement hmm. and kind of the the a- actions for racial equity. But I didn't see like directly how poverty was largely also on racial lines. <laughs> how did you understand at the time as a college student who was, uh, you know, new to this country and maybe perhaps I don't know, maybe you already had an understanding, but perhaps new to the understanding of like racial dynamics in this country? Yeah, I so I had a little bit of an education. I went to an American school for my like late middle and high school. And so I took U.S. history. And so mm-hmm. I had a, a little bit of an understanding of kind of the events mm-hmm. that led from, you know, the, the recent past into the modern day and and why there were these kind of racialized effects of wealth inequality and, and income inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still kind of shocks to what was to your see. understanding of the I like the way you put that the racialized effects of wealth inequality and income inequality. How did you understand that learning it in an American school context outside of America? Like what were what was your takeaway? I, I well, part of it that I didn't really know is the recent history. And that was the part that uh, eluded me because that's not as much in the, the history books. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I didn't know about things like redlining mm-hmm. I, and I didn't know about things um like all the different ways you know covenants racial covenants and mm-hmm. so on that were in the not too distant past mm-hmm. desegregation um you know like i i learned a little bit about desegregation of the schools i didn't know about the extent that it affected housing and things mm. like building wealth mm. and so th- there were just so many of these things that in the level of detail in which you learn it living here you know watching uh, documentaries here you know news here mm-hmm. it, it's just completely different than what, what it's like looking at it from the outside in because um, I, I often feel like in the UK, people have this view that, oh, Amer- America has the race issues. We don't have them as much here. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think it, it, they are there. It's just people course, don't like to it, talk about them. How could they them. not be there? The, the British colonized <laughs> yeah. the entire fucking yeah. earth. Of course they're there. It's because, I mean, like somewhere around 80% plus of the country is white and uh, in the UK. And it's mm-hmm. higher in especially the rural parts. Uh-huh. And so... People, I, I think, are less willing to admit that. Sure. Um, I think one of the most discriminated uh, groups in the UK is actually British Muslims. Yeah. Uh, often have like the lowest in, in various, um, you know, quality of life mm. rankings because of how they're treated and, yeah. and marginalized. And so 
that's probably the closest analog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely there. I, I think there is anti-black racism in the United Kingdom. Of course. Um, I have my, my parents have experienced anti-Indian racism mm-hmm. directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're aware that like sometimes Europeans like to act superior to Americans right. in terms of their race relations, but it's not. Of course, it has yeah. to be rubbish. Like y'all the ones <laughs> who left Europe and came down south fucking with us anyway. But yes, to your, <laughs> to your point. Uh, yeah. South and east and everywhere actually just y'all just <laughs> got on a boat and was like you know what y'all look like Africa, y'all having a good China, time everywhere that's yeah. right let's 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 fuck your shit up for a couple of centuries yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> that is super annoying that like Brit- british people in particular i think they're so like high-minded about race and it's like are you are you are you high do you think that i don't know anything <laughs> there was a lot of like dislike about um you know even things like winston churchill and right. like it's just like come like get over it. Get like, up. These people <laughs> get are these people were not perfect. Yeah. If you're gonna hold them up as your standard, that's right. That you need to kind of evolve with the times. Uh, yeah. Come on, you need to get a grip. Yeah. Is what he meant to say. <clears throat> Interesting. Uh, so wait, you were what? What? What year did you matriculate into college here? 2012. Ooh. Okay. At this, so you were in school from 2012 to 2016. Yeah, and it was in the last my senior year when. Um, I had a lot more free time that I got involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign because mm-hmm. uh, that was just getting started around uh, October 2015. Um, and that was very new in Caltech because if there's there's one thing about Caltech, which is that it prides itself on not being political and, and like really? and like kind of advertises that when parents come to visit, they're mm-hmm. like. People ask, well, are there a lot of protests? And then and then the tour guides are like, oh, no, you know, we, we don't do that sort of thing. And it's just kind of. I never, I never liked that part of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why we, did you not like it? Because it's just kind of absurd. I mean, like, even if you think about it at the, the basic level, as scientists, you need to get involved in politics and mm-hmm. public speaking, because how else are you going to get funded? Mm-hmm. Your biggest source of funding is the NSF. Uh-huh. Like, how are you going to convince Congress that your particle accelerator is worth funding? <laughs> like, uh-huh. just at the basic level. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, even bigger than that, the fact that, and the, the school advertises this that many of the people who graduate from the school end up in the top quintile by income. Mm-hmm. You, when you're in that position, you have to do something to to, to help other people do and to you change. Though? I'm 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 being that's, I'm being deliberately yeah. cheeky, but do you? Why? Why do you? Why do you have to do something? I I mean that's just my own ideology, I guess, and that's something that I was trying to convince. People. Why is that? I'm I know it's yes. your ideology. Yes. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm asking why that's your ideology. Why not just be? And I'm gonna I'm gonna be extremely ham-fisted and gross in saying this. Why not be? You know, you you came from a pretty sweet background. You're smart. You got into a school, you know, full of other smart and, you know, well-off people. You could have a really, you know, lovely, bespoke, unpolitical life doing what you want. Why, Why not just do that? Why not just chill, keep your head down and make it rain? I, I think there are definitely people who think that um, it's just that to me, it it feels uh, like you're just improving yourself. And mm-hmm. at the end of your life, um, you will have just improved yourself and that will end with you and maybe, huh. you know, your descendants. Whereas if you get more involved in improving other people's lives, you you have a real impact mm-hmm. on a greater number of people. And when, when you, you know, die, that impact lives on. And mm-hmm. I think that's definitely um, part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Currency is, is like government tokens. Mm-hmm. 
the government decides in a large way who gets that currency yep. through taxation, through subsidies. Um, and how it's distributed. And how it's distributed. Yeah. And um, we can create the systems that provide like real stability, housing, healthcare, education to everyone um, and do that through real resources. And you don't have to rely on people accumulating this kind of token mm -hmm. that the government creates in order to be able to live a good life. And I think that's a better way of, of living um, because I, and that kind of like that way of thinking to me kind of makes it a little absurd when people spend too much of their time trying to accrue currency because I mean, well, look, in the extreme case, what happens if the government collapses? Then yeah. your, your paper money is worth nothing. That's right. So that your dollar is worth nothing. That's right. Uh, all of it is is for for naught. And so, um, in the extreme case, that's what happens. But I, I also think that like when you get to a high enough level of income, you don't need that money absolutely, um, and you can do a lot more to help out the community. Mm, so what I understood you to just say is like it is a it is a better use of time to for one to involve oneself in a collective effort of uh, redistribution so that everyone is able to provision themselves housing, healthcare, education, et cetera. That is a more useful activity than trying to accumulate as much as you can for yourself and then depend on some notion of philanthropy or charity to like throw some crumbs to people and hope that it works out. Am I understanding you to say that correctly? Yeah, and I, I think like the approach shouldn't, also often not be giving providing people enough currency to be able to do these things yeah. because that that currency is just an intermediary like yeah. at the end of the day is there enough housing uh that's affordable and kept affordable for people mm -hmm. um and can the system be changed hmm. to work that way and hmm. so uh like in that sense like you there's less and less of a need for currency right like mm. and this is something that plays out when you compare other current uh, other countries like mm -hmm. the united kingdom where you know you might not need as you might not have as much money when you retire as somebody in the United States, mm -hmm. but your healthcare costs are, are covered, covered. Yep. and and uh, you know like to some extent your heating costs are covered, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stuff like that, especially for people who are who are seniors. And mm -hmm. so um, that's kind of the important notion I think is that like the currency becomes meaningless once your basic needs are provided for, and it's right. it's largely there for fulfilling your wants. And I think that gets lost for a lot of people. And it's just, and I, so, so then it's like, even though I disagree, I don't blame people, particularly people who grew up poor or, you know, extremely dispossessed that, you know, they just become, you know, money focused and like, that's all they care oh, about. Yeah. And they tie their identity to that. I, you know, that's not me, but I get it because you are trying to outrun what has haunted you, you know, and, and maybe your family, probably your family in previous generations. But that is, but if, just take a second, but that's separate from the question of why you feel the need to do that. You feel the need to do that because yeah. we, because, you know, this country leaves people to the fight, you know, throws them to the wolves and like, you know, well, if you can't make it happen, well, it sucks for you and, you know, la, la, la. So it's like, if you back up, what you're actually what act, what you actually want is the is the freedom from the fear of terror, the terrors of poverty, the terrors of just like precarity yeah. and having something one day and it being taken from you next. That's what you actually want. Money, the money is just the way that the, is the way that you've internalized your belief into getting that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and I can understand. Yeah, people from different backgrounds uh, certainly like would would view like when they have material wealth would view it in a very different way than somebody like myself who sure. who grew up like middle class even in India upper middle class right. Um, and you didn't want for anything. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 so um, and I, I think it's really important to create a system that can provide all those different resources. But the way the system right now is organized is so much like I I, I often feel this like a lot of uh, education, a lot of talent goes into the for profit sector right, the best of and, not all the best i'm being cheeky but one of my friends i used to you know i i'm working the, i used to work in the same kind of still do work in the same industry as you did yeah. but like one of my one of my former co-workers was just like lamenting you know he's very similar to you and i just like <sighs> the best and brightest of this generation we're selling ads yeah like, we're increasing ad it. revenue yeah, that's, that's what it. we're doing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I mean like I, you know, I work on search ranking uh, and my day job and, and search engines. And I, I find it interesting. Like, I, I like it when the, you search something and it works. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, building something like that sure. is something I, I enjoy to do. Uh, for a period of time, I did work on on ads and it was a lot more stressful. Yeah. Uh, you're responsible for the company's bottom line. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, we came up with all kinds of tricks to uh, Boost increase, revenue. <laughs> increase yeah. ad revenue. And then... It, sometimes it's just like well we're not even showing relevant ads right but we need to we need to show the ads yeah that's just, right. yeah I, I i never found it that enjoyable i don't work on ads right now i have a lot of respect for people who stick it out there because yeah. um but yeah that that's i i had the same thought that mm -hmm. so much of our machine learning knowledge and everything that we could be doing in so many different fields mm -hmm. um is in creating more ad revenue right. and we could we we could have a different system and like yeah. a lot of immigrants end up in the system that's because right. that's where the end of the pipeline is yeah. like for the things like h1b visa yep. which is the main visa after my student visa that i was trying to get mm -hmm. um i went through like another intermediate visa before i eventually got you it. didn't get an o1 i got an o1 uh -huh. and then i got an h1b really and you didn't stay on the o1 uh, the H-1B has like some benefits sure, uh, sure, sure. to to eventually leading to a green card. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I ended up changing to the H-1B. And so gotcha. it was a lot of precarity. There was a time that I was going to have to leave uh, the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to like prepare everyone in the Bernie Kratz as well for that mm -hmm. and be like, you know, I'm going to be gone. We need to keep things going, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So, but is that, but are you, so are you, do you still think that you will have to leave or you don't know? It's, up I, in the, I right. don't think I'm going to have to leave, uh, in large part because I'm, uh, planning on marrying my, my fiance mm -hmm. in a year who's mm -hmm. an American citizen. Oh, okay. And, uh, that will be a pathway to a green card. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay. Talk to me about where you were politically or ideologically in college as an undergrad during a really interesting time the, the 2012 to like 2016 time period yeah i mean i for a long period of time in my in my teenage years i didn't really understand the point of involvement in politics and this is even when i lived in the uk mm. before i came to the us because i just saw a lot of bloviating uh people who ultimately even the labor party were not delivering ah. for the people uh -huh. um especially at that time I, after tony blair uh -huh. after like the reintroduction of tuition fees at university ah. which was something that that started again again under labor uh -huh. um it, it just didn't seem like there was any group that was strongly standing up for the people and then you know as i got more involved in politics i learned that this was a big part of the neoliberal trend across the world the west and yeah and, and the west mm -hmm. uh especially in the the 90s and the end of the cold war uh and so it was a terrible kind of like political environment to grow up in because i didn't see people who were fighting as much mm -hmm. uh, fighting as strongly for the needs of people labor party to an extent but 
not to the extent that I would have wanted, which is what Jeremy Corbyn personified. And hmm. um, it was really, you know, towards the end of my time in university, 2015, 16, when Corbyn became popular, yeah, yeah, yeah. when I heard him becoming popular and when I heard the press kind of like acting like this is some crazy radical right. person. My, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, well, that all came out a lot later as well. And 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 but they, they were just making his platform just sound absurd and everything he said just sounded completely reasonable mm -hmm. like you know living wages uh no more zero hour or zero day what was the what's the term over the zero hour contract or zero yeah day yeah and and no more um you know improvements to nhs yep. uh improvements to council housing which mm -hmm. is our form of public housing yeah um which has its own kind of history of being defunded by mm. thatcher mm. um Fuck and that lady sorry yeah. go ahead mm -hmm. yeah i mean the the british equivalent of reagan basically yes but um like Reagan meets Hillary Clinton. It was like girl boss, nasty. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and so like he, he was kind of a, a bright ray of hope. And I, I even saw, you know, kind of the BBC uh, treating him as an him. outsider. Yeah. yeah and mm -hmm. I, I thought that was because I always grew up kind of thinking of the BBC. Oh, they're kind of impartial. But uh, right. obviously any, any known yeah. news organization is impartial. But, yeah, that's right. Um, and so I and then I saw that happen in the United States, you know, in the early 2015 uh, I think around June 2015 is when people started like talking about Bernie people my mm. age started talking about Bernie mm -hmm. um and and he started saying things like Medicare for all which mm -hmm. obviously I knew and in, in mm -hmm. the United Kingdom as the national health service which mm -hmm. is more than Medicare for all because it's also government provision of healthcare. Yeah. but um and, and none of what he said sounded like particularly radical it's just when I realized that this is so outside of the Overton window mm. of 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 American politics, and that 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 Overton window needs to lurch mm -hmm. to the left, mm -hmm. and that's a more powerful way of improving people's lives than philanthropy. Because a lot of the time, when I was younger, I would get involved in things like volunteering. I was like, well, you know, these politicians they they don't have our interests at heart, mm -hmm. the community's interests at heart direct donation direct involvement is the best i can do mm -hmm. but then i learned things like well you know actually if you get involved in shaping the budget hey you get millions and millions of mm -hmm. dollars for a cause mm -hmm. that you don't have to do anything you don't have yeah. to ask other people for money they're already paying it they're That's paying right. it through their taxes That's and right. and so like just it made me realize that in order to see kind of change happen at a larger scale, I had to get more involved in politics and especially mm. politics that wasn't like furthering the inequalities, the income inequality and wealth inequality, but was doing the exact opposite. still in awe of him only being 26. Good grief. Um, be sure to tune in tomorrow where Laksh unknowingly indulges my inner housing wonk. Okay, see you manana.